0: Good morning. Good morning. Is I tell you what? There is just no better place to be on a Sunday morning than with brothers and sisters in Christ gathered in worship. I was thinking of that that line in in Revelation that Leah read earlier: myriads upon myriads upon myriads singing, holy, 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 and just just that whole gathering. Chris and I were kind of having a conversation before even Sunday school and, and Bible study started this morning about. What what if heaven's like a music festival and and there's like all these different stages, all singing praises to God and he's in the middle and we're just, you get to just kind of, we don't know, we're speculating, but it just sounded like a cool concept. Now, whether or not God blesses us with that cool concept, I have no idea, but it sounds, it's going to be great either way, right? I mean, it was just, but just that idea of gathering and worship together and how joyous and how powerful and how wonderful that is and and just i don't know it's a blessing to be here it's a blessing to be able to share god's word these things are just impactful as we look at it today we're going to be in romans chapter 11 we're going to look at verses 1 through 36 um it is it's eschatology it's end timesy stuff and i it's hard <laughs> It's hard. It's hard to teach. It's hard to to study, but it's good to do that. So we're going to go ahead and dive right into the scripture. Got your Bible? Go ahead and open up to Romans 11. If not, you'll see it on the screen. Here we go. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people So too, at the present time, is there a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fail or fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation came to the Gentiles so as to make the Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from dead, the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now sharing in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root who supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast in the faith, so, you, so do not become proud, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note, note then, the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Now, lest you be wise in your own sight... I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob and and this will be my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have been disobedient in order that the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that He may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's bow with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for the day you've given us. We thank you for this time to be in your word. Father, I thank you for challenging scripture as is Romans 11. I I thank you that it can speak to our hearts, that we can dive into it, and that we can really kind of piece it apart. And, and try to find application. And I pray, Lord, that today that you would push me aside and allow your words to come through, that it would be you here in your proclamation and not me. Uh, just allow me to be the tool in your hand to do what needs to be done. And Father God, I pray that as we are in this, you would open our eyes to your word. You would help illumine us so that we may know and how to apply and live for you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so before we really dive into the sermon, I, I want us to uh, think about what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these manners, matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. Now, a couple of really important things here that we see. One, Peter, another apostle, is acknowledging that what Paul writes and is sending out to the churches is scripture. Don't miss that. The other apostles are acknowledging Paul's writings as scripture. That's important. Two, Peter says it's hard to understand. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. I personally find it very comforting that the Apostle Peter <laughs> says that some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. I find Romans 11 one of those pieces of Paul's writing that's hard to understand. Many, many do. Um, Tony Marita, who's the author of one of the commentaries that Chris and I use, he recounts a story about a young man that he met at a conference uh, and, and they were talking about what they were going through and studying in their church. And they were both found, oh, we're both in Romans. And um, the young man said, yeah, we got to Romans chapter 11. And the um, pastor said, well, it's time for vacation Bible school. So let's, let's do a vacation Bible school focus this Sunday. And we'll come back to Romans chapter 12 next Sunday. Like they skipped over Romans chapter 11 altogether because it was hard. Well, the hard things of Scripture are exactly what we should not skip. The hard things of Scripture are what we need to take time to be with. We should take time to read them. We should take time to study them. Take time to ponder them because they are hard. And as we get into Romans chapter 11, we need to remember that chapters 9 and 10 are all about God's sovereignty in salvation how God lines that all up. Paul is is heartbroken as he's writing chapters 9, 10, and it it bleeds into chapter 11, that he's heartbroken for the people of Israel who have rejected Jesus, the Christ, as the Messiah. Paul was was brought out of his own self-righteous religiosity and into the righteousness of Christ. And and even though he has been called to share the gospel with Gentiles and, and he's willingly and joyfully doing just that, he longs for the day that other Jews like him will see the truth of Scripture and Jesus Christ as God. See, the majority of the Jews have rejected Jesus as the Son of God, they've rejected him as Messiah. But that does not mean that God has rejected them. And that's what Paul's getting to here, right? Paul brings up this idea of a remnant, right? He uses himself as an example, showing that not all Jewish people rejected Jesus as Savior. And he, he, he backs this kind of further up. He, he backs this idea up a little bit more by using the Old Testament example of Elijah. Right? Elijah, though, though deep in his heart, thought he was the last follower of God. He, he just was just tore up. But God assures Elijah that, that he's preserved a remnant of 7,000 faithful followers. This hope that God will fulfill his saving promises in the future. And and this is what, what Paul's using here is this. These are the people that God foreknew. Now, that word has shown up a lot in Romans, foreknowledge. God is an omniscient God who knows all things, sees all things, right? And so him knowing that, it isn't, isn't, shouldn't be that surprising to us. But this word reaches back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the word no emphasizes God's kind of special choice or His covenantal affection towards His people. He uses this word here in chapter 11 as, as a reminder that God has not rejected Israel, but has chosen a remnant who will know Christ. In verse 6, we see that, that God is choosing And his grace are inseparable. That's that's tricky for us. We had this great discussion in small group about how God is constantly throughout the redemptive history of all humankind been making choices that lead to his glory and that show his grace. And they're inseparable. Both God's choosing and God's grace show us that salvation is God's work and God's work alone. Nothing you and I do earns salvation. Salvation has nothing to do with our works. It is by grace through faith in Christ you are saved. That all belongs to God. All of that. Right? And then in verses 7 through 10, Paul recaps Israel's failure to pursue God. Many worked really hard to attain salvation through a sacrificial system. And in doing so, they rejected Christ, they were hardened. We talked about that with chapter 10, that they they pursued the law, but thought that the law as a checklist, if I do these things, I will get there. And And what they missed was that the law was designed to draw them close to God, to see his will, to see his character, to see his love, to see his grace. And they missed it. And because they missed that, they rejected Christ. And they were hardened. Verse 8, Paul quotes Isaiah 29 and Deuteronomy 29, showing us that the hardening comes from God as well. And then in verses 9 and 10, Paul quotes Psalm 69, 22 and 23. This is David and he's writing this prayer and he says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is is a prayer of judgment over those in Israel who have rejected Christ. Now, the thing that we really got to pause a moment here is is notice how much Paul is emphasizing grace in this passage. If we're not careful, we miss it. Right? It's sometimes hard as we're reading some of these things to, to not see it. But, but, but grace is, a, is in here everywhere. It's grace that God foreknows those he calls. It's grace that God keeps a remnant to himself. It's grace that allows Paul to be a part of that remnant. It's grace that you are saved. And it is grace alone. Don't miss How much grace is in Romans chapter 11? Right? Now, the problem with that is is, is we're not really wired well to understand that. Grace is tough for us, right? People try to get rid of their guilt, they try to get rid of their shame, they try to get rid of an unsettled conscience or or whatever you want to call it through, through a myriad of different things therapy, exercise, diet. Medicine, travel, philanthropy, works-based religious practices. Now, hear me out. While therapy and exercise and a healthy diet, proper medicine, travel, and philanthropy are not in and of themselves bad things, right? they cannot, do not, and will not save your soul. They won't. It doesn't work that way. I'm not saying stop those things. I'm saying don't rely on them to get you to heaven because it won't. I, I like, I like again, the author of our, our commentary, Tony Marita. I like the way he says it here. He says, we are saved by undiluted grace, God's unmerited favor to those who repent and place their faith in the Messiah. Undiluted grace. Thick, rich grace. When you, you dilute something, it gets thinner and thinner and thinner. No, oh, God's grace is undiluted. It's thick, hard to stir. Right? That's good. See if you're a follower of Christ, you should be in, in like just an amazingly thankful awe. Of that, You should rejoice knowing that God extended His loving, saving grace to you. Just make you just, wow, when you think about that. Because I know I don't deserve it. And you know you don't deserve it. But it's still there. And He gives it to you. Now, this next chunk as we get into it, verses eleven through thirty-two, this is this is probably the most difficult part of this chapter. Right? They're, they're difficult because they deal with eschatology. Eschatology is that $3 seminary word that means end times. Right? People often think of the imagery of, of the book of Revelation, right? And the book of Daniel when they're thinking about end times. But Paul gives us a reminder that that there's a much more complete picture. Those aren't bad. Those are, those are excellent pictures. But there's a bigger, complete picture when we think about eschatology. And, and the picture that we need to think about is, is that it's about the completion of Jesus' mission to save and redeem his church. That's really what it is. That's what the end times are about. right? That, that all the peoples, when he talks about that, is going to include Jews and Gentiles like Every nation, every language, every tribe, every person who comes to Christ is included in that. And See, it's important for us to understand that too because it means that God's hardening of Israel isn't the final word. God has planned it so that Israel's trespass, Israel's failing to see him see Jesus as Messiah Israel's sin in that Would open up salvation for the Gentiles. Thank God. If Israel hadn't done that, it was all part of God's plan anyway, then you and I wouldn't have heard the gospel the way we have. It's important for us to see that. See, the Jews in turn would become jealous of the Gentiles having salvation and the promised close relationship with God. That's how this works. It started out with the Jews. Jesus goes directly to them. Now he does do a little bit of preaching to some Sumerians. Some Gentiles are here, out on the sides. There's, there's some stuff like that happening. God-fearing Greeks, as sometimes are referred to in Scripture, hear the message too. But it starts there. And it builds. There's a remnant. You think of the twelve. And you think of Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus. And you think of some of those that were branching out. And it builds from there. Right? So the that others start to reject though. Think about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the Sanhedrin. These folks are all starting to reject. And they're influential and others reject as well. But, but they, it starts there. And then we see the day of Pentecost. And we see going out from there. And, and what happens is then it then goes out to the, to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles then have this close relationship to God that was promised to the Jews. So so if Israel's sin has brought salvation to the Gentiles, Paul's talking about here, he says, then how much more blessing will there be once Israel returns and Israel is saved? See, Paul has this special calling on his life to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But he has this special desire to use this calling, use this ministry to benefit his brother and sister Jew. Paul hopes more Gentiles come to Christ, right? That the more of them that come to Christ, then it makes the Jews more desirous of what the Gentiles have in their relationship with God. His hope is that the Jews develop a holy jealousy. Now, there's some words you don't necessarily smush together, but that's kind of what it is. It's a holy jealousy for the gospel so that many more of those folks will be saved. Now, it's really important for you and I to focus on this gospel jealousy. right? This is different than the sinful jealousy that has us desiring other people's belongings and worldly gains. right? This jealousy is caused by you, living such a close life with God through Christ that others see it. This is your cup runneth over moment. You're just, you know, I think there, there's always kind of been a running joke about the ask the little four-year-old. And he says, well, where does Jesus live? And the little guy says, he lives inside of you. And then he looks up at the Sunday school teacher and he says, but if he lives inside of you, doesn't he stick out all over? Right? Well, that's what Jesus should be doing for us. He should be sticking out all over. We should ooze Jesus. And that's, that's what's happening here. So that's what Paul's describing that as, as Gentiles become closer and closer to God, closer and closer to God through Christ, others see it. Notice that they're going to start to notice there's something peculiar about you, but peculiar in a good way. Peculiar in a way that draws people to Christ through your life. Peculiar in a way that that allows people to be willing to hear you witness and to listen to your testimony about the grace that God has given you and the salvation you have in His grace. See, this gospel jealousy makes people want to see what you have with God and say, man, I want some of that. I want some of that. How do I get what you have? I want to know Christ the way you know Christ. This is the purpose of all of our worship. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is why you sing. Your singing should lift up and bolster the believer, but it should also cause the unbeliever to want to have a reason to sing like you. Your goal in proclaiming your story of how Christ saved you is to let people see how lovely, how satisfying, how sufficient Christ is in your life. So they are drawn to Jesus. See, the question you should ask yourself is is whether you have so much joy and so much pleasure in Christ that other people want to have it as well. Do you genuinely adore Jesus in good times and in bad times so others see it and ask questions and seek answers from you? So that's what Paul's hoping happens to the Jews as he's proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. And then he kind of goes on here to, to describe God's people as this olive tree starting in, in verses um, really 16 and 17. And he kind of moves from there, right? This olive tree. So the patriarchs of the faith are this, are, the, are the root and the generations that come after them are all the branches, right? And as Gentiles... You and I are these wild olive shoots. We're wild olive trees growing out in the orchard. Well, and you get those. We had apple trees as a kid on a couple different of the family places. And you'd get these little shoots coming up in between the apple trees. You'd go cut them down because you didn't want those growing. You wanted the cultivated tree to grow, not the little shoots that came up. Now I never understood enough how it worked, but I watched a couple of my uncles and a few of my aunts that knew how to graft. They could cut that little wild tree out, cut a branch off the off the living, and, and notch it in there and wrap it up in in, in twine and, and it would grow. It would become part of that tree. That's what Paul's describing here, right? You and I are these wild olive shoots, but some of the natural branches have been broken off. And this, this refers to that hardening of the hearts of the Israelites, of the Jews towards Jesus the Messiah. And this allows the Gentiles to be grafted into the tree. That tree is the people of God. right? And this should cause Gentile believers to be humble rather than boastful. Paul says in verses 21 and 22, For if God did not spare the natural branches the Jewish people, neither will he spare you Gentiles. Right? He says, note the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. Don't mess around. See, fear and humility is the appropriate response God will not spare anyone who does not continue in belief. Now, this isn't some sort of paralyzing fear, right? This isn't isn't the fear of missing out. This isn't the fear of of making a decision. But it's the kind of fear that, that is a humility that doesn't take the God of your salvation for granted. It also does not think lightly of God's displeasure. See, you and I have had the kindness of God poured out on us in that He has saved us. But we must persevere in the faith. Otherwise, you'll be judged as unbelievers. Also, God will graft back in Jews who put their faith in Christ. This is all a bit tricky. And it's all a bit tricky because it's about the future of of Israel. Now, we got to kind of pause a second here. This is about the future of Israel, but not Israel, the nation formed in 1948, post World War II. This is Israel, the people of God from Abraham. This is this is kind of that idea there. This is a bigger picture of that in Paul's head. Remember, Paul's writing this 2,000 years before 1948. He's not thinking about that. He's thinking about the Israelite people around him as he's writing this. But it's about their future. Israel can be saved if they shift from their unbelief to belief. God is willing to save them. Historically, if we look at all of the historical redemption. Right? The, the, just the history of redemption throughout Scripture, God has always been willing to save them. And the more beautiful thing is that he's able to save them and has always been able to save them. So we have a sovereign God who opens blind eyes and softens hard hearts and brings unbelievers to belief, so that they may know and embrace the Messiah. In verses 25 and through 32, we start to get into the mystery of Israel's salvation. Now, I'm going to use the three questions that Tony Morita asks about this passage in, in, in exalting Jesus in Romans. The first question here is, who is Israel? Right? From the commentaries that I've read, there seems to be some agreement here that Paul's not just referring to the Jewish and Gentile elect. He's, he's not saying the church is Israel. That, that gets a little squishy sometimes. It's a little fuzzy for us. But he's not saying that. He's talking about ethnic Israel from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those people. The reasoning is, is that it would not be a mystery for God to save his elect. That's what God does. right? That's the promise he's already made. When Paul says all Israel, he doesn't mean every single Israelite. He doesn't mean all of the the Jews from the past. He doesn't mean all the Jews from the present. He doesn't mean all the Jews in the future. Right? As Paul writes Romans, he makes it abundantly clear that salvation comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. But it seems that Paul believes and is prophesying through the Holy Spirit that a great number of ethnic Jews will come to salvation through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Right? God has a remnant throughout history and sometime in the future, many more Jewish people will believe in Jesus Christ. They will be saved because they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. There is only one way to salvation, and that is faith in Christ Jesus, Son of the living God. Okay. Second question is, when does Israel get saved? All right. Now, Paul quotes Isaiah 59, 20 and 21 here giving him a biblical basis for his assertion, right? Some will be saved and are being saved as time moves towards Jesus' return and the gospel is being preached. But 26 and 27, verses 26 and 27, he points to kind of a more specific event. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So the answer seems vague as you read it in scripture and it probably should. Right? Paul doesn't describe large numbers of Jews coming to faith in Christ as a sign that Jesus's return is imminent. He also does not describe this large number of Jews coming to faith in Christ as an event that triggers Christ's return. No one knows the time. God the Father has appointed for that. Not even Jesus himself. And if not Jesus, then surely not Paul. What we do know is that sometime in the future, when all the Gentiles who will come to Christ have come to Christ, then God will bring the Jews to Himself as well. A way to think about these first two questions is to think about it being what Tony Marita calls God's boomerang of salvation. And that is a great way to think about it. It's a boomerang of salvation, right? What happens when you throw a boomerang? It comes back to you. So this is how the boomerang of salvation kind of works. Salvation was first brought to the Jews. They rejected it. They threw it away. There it is. It's out there. Right? As the boomerang is thrown, it starts to pick up the Gentiles. In the path, that boomerang will continue to pick up Gentiles until eventually it returns back to the Jews who threw it away to begin with. When it returns to them, many of them are going to be saved. I wish I could have... Thought of that. That's brilliant. Tony Marino, that's, that's ingeniously simple for a complex concept here. I love it. Third question is how will Israel be saved? Now, the answer to that is really much more simple. We've heard it over and over again today. It is through faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. God is going to unharden the hearts, He's going to open the blindness to the scripture for them. As the gospel penetrates to the ends of the earth, the Gentiles will be saved. Once all the Gentile world, those who are going to be calling upon Christ amongst the Gentiles, have been saved, then God, through His own mysterious means, will remove the hardening that is currently on the people of Israel. And many of them will be saved. This is all done so that the nations will glorify God and praise Him for His great mercy and His loving grace. And Paul just drops all this on us here in Romans 11. Like, boom! And you're like, whoa, that's heavy. <laughs> like, that, that feels like a ton. And then, just being the way Paul is, he closes out with a doxology or a prayer, right? Paul sheds light on God's great plan for salvation. And as he does it, even if it's tough to understand, hard to get into, he cannot help but break into praise, he acknowledges that God's wisdom and God's ways are, are far greater than our human understanding, and that God deserves all the glory because of all of His greatness. No human mind, no human knows the mind of God apart from revelation, and no human serves God as an advisor. We are reminded that no one gives anything to God, but that God gives us all things. Everything you and I have is a gift from Almighty God. Because all things are from Him and through Him and for Him, He deserves all glory forever and ever. I just love that. But what we see here is that God's amazingly mysterious plan of salvation brings Him great honor. It brings Him great praise and it brings Him great glory then it is your appropriate response to glorify God through evangelism. We talked about that last week, right? That, it, that, it's, that it's your job to share the good news of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ to all you know and love. Right? In Romans 10, 14 through 16, How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That is our call, church. We are called to glorify God through evangelism as you share the good news of Jesus Christ to those you know and love. You're called to glorify Him by giving a life marked with humility, gratitude, and reverent fear of God. You glorify God by living in the hope of our returning Savior. You glorify God through worship, acknowledging His infinite wisdom, His matchless mercy, His sovereignty, His self-sufficiency, and His saving purposes through Jesus Christ our Messiah. As we close out, And if you're a follower of Christ, you've got to share this story. You've got to share this great hope that God gives. And if you're not yet a believer in Christ, I encourage you to talk to us. Ask questions. Find us. Shoot us an email, office at calvaryheights.org. Drop us a comment as you're watching us, maybe on Facebook Live today. We want to talk to you about what it means to know Jesus the way Paul describes knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word and I thank you so much for the day we've had to just share it with others. Father, I thank you that you have a history of redeeming your people, of of wanting to see lives marked and changed through the salvation of your grace. Father God, I pray that as we proclaim that as a church, as we take the message of Jesus Christ and the grace and love he has to others in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, you would use us to grow your kingdom. Challenge us, convict us, move us to do your work.